Today on the show, I have Sarah Caricone. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, for sharing your audience. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on today. So uh, for those who don't know, Sarah is a uh, cancer survivor uh, for 15 years now. She also wrote a book on it. But Sarah, I want to kind of go into your life before you had cancer. Absolutely. So can you just take us into that, what you were up to, what you're doing? Certainly. And uh, it's interesting place to start because really in my book, Living Cancer Free, it's beyond the cancer itself, but it's everything that leads up to. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect way to start out and kick off. Um, I like to start that journey around 14. I think we've all been there in those years where it's really, you have no idea who you are. Mm-hmm. You feel like the weirdest little duck. Nobody fits in. Everyone feels like a black sheep in their own way. But I really felt it. I really felt it amplified. Uh, and I struggled a lot with fitting in because I always felt like I fit out. And I was always heavy into sports. I was big into movement. Um, it's been what a, sports did you play? I played growing up. I played everything really growing up. But when I really focused on was softball and volleyball. Those were the two nice. sports that I did in high school specifically. They were my grounders. Uh, the only thing that really kept me in a way, it was something that I look forward to. If I could go back to one thing in high school, it would be the sports aspect. Other than that, you can keep the rest of it. <laughs> so around 14, I was excelling at softball. Uh, I was doing well with volleyball. Volleyball was fairly new. And I started to feel a big disconnect of who I wanted to be. I wanted to be that playful child, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I also needed to be in this grown-up environment and getting pushed really in different directions. So when I started to feel that separation, uh, I was bumped up to varsity, but then benched. So I didn't play it at all. And anytime that I did, it was kind of belittled in a way. And that started to create really a different esteem value of myself. I was always great. And that's what I was known for. But then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was, you're not good anymore. So you're going to sit here and you're going to have to watch. That, of course, is not what brought me cancer. But there was a lot of other things that started to pile on top of that. So it started to develop, well, if I can't control what's going on around me, what can I control? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to focus on food. It was the one thing that I knew I could control what went into my body and later what developed into bulimia, what went out of my body. So that's a teaser, but I developed a really bad eating disorder. It started with anorexia and then it formed into bulimia. That was all prior. And how old were you at this point? 14 was when I started to just, what if I don't eat this? What if I skip out on lunch? What if I pass and just have grapes for dinner? Well, my mom noticed, uh, and she did. So it started to really develop into this this morphia separation of what my mind was telling me and my body. Uh, that was the beginning of what I qualify as a cancer uh, within my life. Mm-hmm. In the book itself, I in the book Living Cancer Free, I define cancer as anything that causes dis-ease within the body. And I know that's a word that you also believe in as well and, yeah. and embody and share. And that was one of those pieces that I started to take on as a cancer in my life. Uh, the eating disorder itself 
continued in and out for the next 18 years of my life. Anyone who's struggled with addictions and especially with uh, mental health issues, things just don't go away. Um, and it's when something comes up, how you're learning to take on different tools and uh, coping mechanisms to deal with them. Thankfully, now I found much better ones uh, <laughs> that I'm proud to share and share right. those with others. However, that was around 14, 15. I really started to get heavy into an eating disorder. Um, around that same time, I started to, of course, experiment with drinking. Everybody else around me was drinking, but it was, of course, I got in trouble all the time. I was the unlucky person who dropped the bottle on the kitchen floor, smashed everywhere, got caught doing everything. It was just not meant to be. It was like the universe hitting me on the head, Sarah, don't, don't be dumb. Don't do these dumb things. You're better than this. But I had to learn. I had to learn. So did you continue to play sports uh, through high school as you were having this eating disorder or was it getting benched was at the end of the career for you? Great question. I continued to play until I really reached a point with volleyball where I was too thin. I was mm -hmm. really not healthy and they pretty much gave me, not verbally, but gave me the, the uh, ultimatum of either gain weight and get healthy or you're not playing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit. Before being told you can't play, I quit. And it was one of the harder decisions that I later look back on and wish that I hadn't done. But I also live a life of no regrets. So there's mm -hmm. lessons to be learned in that. And uh, I took a year off from both volleyball and softball. And then later went back to them the year after when I gained a little bit of weight. The eating disorder was still there, okay. but I gained weight. So you still went back. Was this still in high school when you went back? Correct. This was uh, junior year I took off sports. But because I gained weight, everybody thought that I was fine. So it's a really interesting kind of messed up mentality that if your weight is okay, everything uh -huh. else must be fine. Well, probably too, and being, you know, a young girl in high school, if your weight's back, people aren't probably thinking too much in mental wellness as they are today. Exactly. That was six, uh, 16, 17. I'm aging myself. It was about 17 years ago, 18 years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... You're in high school. You still have the eating disorder. So what starts to what starts to happen after high school? After high school, I went to college at mm -hmm. Northeastern University in Boston. Semester one, they do trimester. So this first semester, I started out, and I, it was my time to let loose and be wild and free, and not like the good kind of live free that I uh, embody today. But I really started to drink heavily and party, and I got a lot of trouble for that. Um, trouble meaning I wasn't finishing my assignments. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to classes. I did nothing physically to anybody else, but I was just really, it was self-harm. And I ended up reaching about two-thirds of the way into that trimester, and I had to make a decision to drop out because I have always been an A student. I've always been super high honors. And for me, that first time in my life, I wasn't going to achieve that. So I had to take action before that happened. And I said, you know what? I need to take this break. I need to go back home, which is Connecticut uh, at the time. And I dropped out, went back to Connecticut and dealt with the ramifications that come after dropping out of college after your first 
uh, trimester. So it wasn't wonderful coming back. It was like this big dark cloud over of failure in a lot of ways that sat really heavy on me. So insert um, another cancer. Was that your mom? Was your mom and dad still at home? They were still at home in Connecticut. So I went back and stayed with them. So it was, I had like my two months of go loose and, yeah. and uh, you know. <laughs> what, what do you think was driving you to go and rage to the extent that you did? I believe it was a combination of being told no for some things. And uh, at the same time, on a deeper level, it was also not knowing how to deal with my own emotions and my mm -hmm. own feelings and my own self and uh, in not fully loving myself. I don't know who fully, uh, I hope that there are teenagers out there who fully love themselves in those years, but I yeah. don't know many people who do and have that kind of emotional intelligence at that age to do so. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that was beyond the fact of being told no, because I get told no all the time, and it's not like the end of the world for me, but it's at the time, how did I deal with those emotions of low esteem, of lack of self-acceptance, uh, right, or self-love? Mm -hmm. So was it that you were just a lack of attention from the boys, that you weren't getting enough that was kind of driving this, you think? No, honestly, it was the opposite. Um, I think I had too much attention from boys. <laughs> but I've also always connected with uh, more of a male, masculine figure, be it female mm -hmm. or, or male, than yeah, yeah. female. And I think it's a just a, that kind of mentality. Um, I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in New York area and then later moved to Boston. And it was always more of a straightforward, uh, I don't like a lot of drama, so I try and cut a lot of it out. But I think that's there was a lot of drama in high school. I'll put it that way. And not all girls are filled with drama, but a lot of drama in high school when you live in a town that there's there's not much going on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you go back home, you move home. What happens after that? Because I know it says I was doing a little reading up on you, and you do have a uh, a degree in advertising design. Yes. So I did. That comes later. Okay. And uh, I believe you fall off a horse, you got to find a way to get back on. That's later mm -hmm. uh, after the big C. Um, so after coming back to Connecticut and I was dealing still with the eating disorder because uh, I still didn't handle that. With addictions, when you trade one, you still have another one there. So I stopped drinking like I was before, but I still had the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I remember the first few nights being back, uh, anyone who's listening who has struggled with alcohol before, those first few days when you are either detoxing or you know removing from, I remember feeling like the, the tingles uh, within my body and it was like mm -hmm. these shakes and it was really, I didn't know how to handle that. So it was, okay, what other addiction do I have? And it was going back to the eating disorder. So after, I will say, I took on a couple like small jobs here and there because I wasn't going to school. I started school part-time at Fairfield University, which is a great school. Uh, I started doing things that I liked, things that were basic. So the English, but I did photography. So it was a balance of both. <laughs> and then one day there was a lump in my neck that started to grow and grow and grow. And of course, cancer cells metastasize. Mm -hmm. So 
in some time, all of a sudden, what started as we used to call it a little bean in high school, I had it in my neck and my friend was like, what is this little bean? And I was like, oh, let's just name it the bean. It's, I had no idea what the lymphatic system was in high school. <laughs> so then that bean transformed into a golf ball. And it was this big mass that was in my neck. And finally, one day I went to the, my pediatrician at the time. And my mother said, I think you really need to get this checked out. This is only getting bigger. So when mm -hmm. I got taken to the pediatrician at the time, she immediately rushed me to Yale New Haven Hospital, set up a CAT scan for me, and uh, a biopsy was the following day. But I had those back to back. I was like, does anyone want to tell me what's going on here? Am I going to be okay? And of course, doctors don't tell you anything on the spot because they cannot. Mm -hmm. uh, that ended up being a, a cancer diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was stage two or three A uh, that I was diagnosed at the age of 19. Wow, it's young. It is young, uh, but it's, it's the age that if you're diagnosed with Hodgkin's, that's the age, or when you're older. So it's either one of the two. Uh, and also, they so kindly told me in the hospital, if you're going to get a cancer, this is a good one to have. And I was like, you are really an a-hole. Get out of my face right now. <laughs> I don't um, know what, if this is PG, PG-13 or uh, what. So. Yeah, this, it's open uh, <laughs> language on this platform here. Explicit is fine. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we don't live in the PC world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you get diagnosed. Yes. What happens next? How do, how do you go and start to deal with this? I am a to-do list person. And okay. it helps, but it, it has its pluses and minuses, like anything. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, the first stage was numb. It was like I just stopped hearing anything the doctor said at that point forward. Then it went into, okay, what is the plan? Tell me what I need to do. And it was step, 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 step. Okay, chemotherapy this way, every other week. Got it for four, uh, four rounds straight. Then we do it again. But it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work out that way because your blood counts are too low one day. So you get rescheduled for another. Mm -hmm. You start to feel awful one week and you have to go in for a different exam. Uh, you start to feel like a little porcupine because they're pricking you for everything. And that went on over the course of eight months doing the chemotherapy, seven or eight months, then going into radiation treatments afterwards. So it was, uh, and an important part to note within the, the cancer treatments too, there was, I was seeing the pediatric oncologist at the time because I was admitted through pediatrics, which was mm -hmm. a blessing because pediatrics at least have bright colors. The adult oncology room is really depressing, and I was thankful for that. At the same time, the doctor wanted me to do another round, which is four treatments of chemotherapy. It's a series. Wow. And I had a point where I really had barely any hair left. I was going to ask that. And it was really, I looked really, really sick. And I remember having this intuitive feeling that I said, I think you're going to kill me if I keep doing more of this. It was after eight. And they ended up uh, getting a, we got a second opinion by one of the adult oncologists who was mm -hmm. studying some of the different treatments and, that were done in Europe. And he said, you know, there's been many studies of people who have responded as well as you for Hodgkin's and the ABVD treatment that I was doing. 
and you, we can just change the radiation treatment instead uh, and, and increase the radiation and cut back on the third series. So I always recommend to people in anything in life, get a second opinion and trust mm-hmm. your gut. So we ended up going with that choice and started going into the radiation treatment shortly after. So your intuition really brought you the right answer. Yes. When I started listening to that thing, it had a lot of smart things to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you go in for this next treatment. So what happens? What's next on this uh, adventure you went through? Uh, after the, after the radiation? Yeah. It's really that day after you're done with radiation, the day after you have, you know, you're, you're officially kind of, I think of like a bird leaving the Mm -hmm. nest and it's just like, okay, go. It is the weirdest feeling. I have been in one of the weirdest I'll say in my life, because you really just sit back and think, okay, what do I do now? It's like a blank page in your life. You don't have anyone buzzing around you saying you need to do this. At the same time, you don't fit in anywhere in the world because you have a bald head. You are still like pale as anything and your body's trying to recoup and heal. And you, I also felt this pressure on myself that I had to do something great now. I was given a second chance of life and I really mm-hmm. needed to do something. So the type A perfectionist who struggled with an eating disorder all through that puts more pressure on herself of now we need to go out and do something great. <laughs> Can you talk about what it was like to just be in a cult, be in society and culture with shaved head as a female, also probably very emancipated uh, in the face as well, I would imagine. Yes. Yes. I was, yeah. uh, I don't like to do a lot of numbers, but I was pretty, I think I mentioned in my book, I was like 110, I think at that time. And, uh, which I'm five seven, so it's yeah, it's, it's tiny. I know, yeah, yeah. I remember, and it's a great question that you ask about what that felt like in that moment as a female not having hair. That's a big part of identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember one time my mother and I went to go to a wig shop, and we said, "I'll try this," and I tried on maybe two wigs, and I was like, "This is not for me." And it was really either fucking own it or succumb to. And mm-hmm. that's not a choice for everyone. I know a right. lot of people who feel really comfortable with wearing either a bandana or a wig. For me, it just felt like this, this thing that I, I didn't want a part of me. And I would rather reject it and just own what was going on. And I did not wear anything. Uh, But there were definitely times where you knew people were staring at you. Mm -hmm. You knew people were talking about you. You knew there was fingers pointed behind your back. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know the correct word for it really to place on it, but it's, you either need to be really grounded in yourself to not take that on top of, uh, to not let it affect you. And there were certainly times where it did. I, uh. I still went surfing. I still went to the gym. I still went to classes. I just walked up to my teachers and said, just as a heads up, if I need to like not be here for a class, it's because I'm going through cancer treatment. And you expect mm-hmm. by that point that the look on people's faces is like, whatever you need. Um, right. So I used to call it, I'm a joke person when I start to see people are uncomfortable. 
And so I would make a joke and be like, yeah, I just pulled the cancer card. But um, <laughs> it was really how to make other people comfortable as well in the same space, because if both people are uncomfortable, it just makes it even worse. Yeah, totally. Uh, so it's a little bit of, actually, it's the mug that I'm drinking out of, but it's own your weird. <laughs> I love it. Own your weird. So <laughs> what I'm hearing is that the cancer and kind of the eating disorder, which led to the, the shaved head of losing the hair, um, really forced you or you learned how to really accept yourself and your skin and who you were? Years later. Uh, I always, always wish that the cancer was going to be you know, the, the tipping point of when things yeah. changed. And that would, I always joked that it would make a beautiful story, but it was really years later, about five or six years later, after still struggling with an eating disorder, mm -hmm. after still being an alcoholic again, I went back up to college. So here's where the ad degree comes in. I went back up to Boston and I said, you know, I got another chance at this where I can go away, I can learn something, but I can also get out of the house. And my parents hope help me, you know, I took on some school loans, but they'll help mm -hmm. me to pay for it. So I took that opportunity and I went back up to Boston. I went to school and I majored in advertising and graphic design. And I fell right back into the same issues of an eating disorder of alcohol, because when you don't learn what's going on and the tools, how to deal with that, you yeah. just keep repeating the same patterns. That's where the ad degree came in. Uh, my, and I got a job in graphic design. I was right out of college. I got a job as a junior art director at one of the major ad agencies in Boston, Hill Holiday. And it was a blessing because it was a really prime opportunity that not many people are given. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a really not only good resume builder, but it gave me that little boost of confidence that, hey, kid, you can do this. Uh, and then, so I was working on accounts like Bank of America and, you know, enjoying the ad life which later gave me my love for mad men of course after that came out okay. <laughs> but then the downturn of the economy came in 2008 2009 everything just turned to shit turned upside down because of our own doing but uh then i was laid off so mm -hmm. once again when you have an identity to something you love something you know first it was sports and then it was identity taken and then it was the job then it was taken. Mm -hmm. I was left with who am I again? At the time I was engaged to, uh, who's now my ex-husband, but a good friend. Uh, and it was really this separation of once again, who am I? I'm not good enough, right? That, that same voice that just says not good enough, not good enough. And that's where I still delve into the eating disorder big time. And it was my way of coping with those, uh, with those, poor emotions of myself and my own being, reflections being laid off. So what became, you got laid off. So what, what did you, you got into the eating disorder? Did you, how long were you out of work for? I was, I did some freelance, but all in all, almost two years. Wow. I did freelance, uh, almost, it was almost full time. So we can say okay. it was pretty much full time for like nine months working at another, uh, design position. But it wasn't what I wanted. And I think when you're just taking fillers, nobody mm -hmm. really feels fulfilled. Um, so was that like kind of the start of your entrepreneur journey? The start of my entrepreneurial journey was when I was a kid. I grew up in uh, a ski shop. It was my family's ski and snowboard store. 
And I was the kid who would sell gumballs to make quarters from people who were shopping for other things. I learned mm -hmm. at a young age how to turn a dollar over fast and uh, profit margins and ROI. So I learned at a young age, when you want to create something, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work and <laughs> a lot of effort, but you can create anything you want and to make a business out of it. So it was right around that time of uh, freelance was one of the one of the entrepreneurial journeys that I started to take. But it was also at that time that I started to get into yoga. So it got it's funny how things work out. Where I was located, it was outside mm -hmm. of Boston, outside of the city, and the train I was commuting back and forth uh, got too expensive on top of a gym membership that I was paying for for what I was given for compensation for unemployment. So mm -hmm. it was really, uh, it was the lack of money that forced me into finding a cheaper alternative that could still burn calories. And there was a new yoga studio opening around the corner for me. So I was like, okay, I can walk there. So you start Googling how many calories does a yoga class burn, which <laughs> now in retrospect, it's so silly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not the point. <laughs> but um, that got me into yoga. And what started with a calorie burner quickly became uh, an appreciation for my body. And I started to do different things with my body uh, that I realized there's a strength within me. And it sounds silly, but the arm balances, uh, when I started to learn some of the inversions, it gave me a deeper appreciation for what my body could do instead of what I wanted it to be. That really became the transitional point in my life that I started to develop a little more self-love and understanding and acceptance in a lot of ways. So was it the physical yoga itself? Because you have an athletic background. Correct. It was so, always movement. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing your take on what you said, what it could be versus what you want it to be. I wanted to be 5'9". Taller, skinnier, smaller hips. Uh, I wanted to model at the time uh, because I, if I wasn't good at anything else, I knew that there was like a pretty aesthetic, which. Okay, so this is about. Would, go ahead. This was about you actually wanting a completely different kind of body. Yes, yes. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, as if you can make yourself any taller, right? Let's, yeah, let's yeah. not eat because that's going to make you taller, right? Let's, let's not. You can experiment. It doesn't work well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wanted to change my body. There was always something. There's that critical eye that looks at and says, I want to change this. What if we just got rid of this here? And that's that's the eating disorder mindset. But I think it's also a on a, a larger scale. It's something at, as a societal standpoint. There's that a lot of dysmorphia. Exactly. Yes. Cool. So you get into yoga. You start to have appreciation for your body. Yes. Does this start to assist with the eating disorder? It does with time. It does. And I really started to heal a lot of the, I, I mean, without going too graphically, but also giving enough details, I started to stop throwing up as much. Um, I started to really say, you know what, we need to change this. Mm -hmm. And if I want to change something, it's got to start in the mind. 
and it's got to start with me because there was times I did, I should preface too, I did go to treatments for eating disorders throughout these years, therapies. But when you personally don't want to heal something, there's no therapist in the world. There is no treatment in the world that's going to help you. So it's really, it has to start from within. And that was the moment that I started from within that I wanted to change. So I started to eat better foods and nourish, not because of how many calories were in something, but because I knew that that was going to give me the fuel that I needed. And it's it, that's how I eat today. It's, it has nothing to do with calories, but it's how do I want to feel after? Mm-hmm. And what emotion do I want to put into this? Uh, so that changed. That's the part that changed. Awesome. Yeah, there's a great... Uh... Edison has a great quote that his father had taught him that said, eat to live, don't live to eat. Yes, I've heard that one. It is a great one. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yoga. So now where does tie us back into kind of you have this living cancer free book. You're fighting this uh, battle within yourself here. How do you end the battle within yourself around the eating disorder? It continued up until, so after I, I got married in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, a couple years later, I was just like, hey, you know, I've been doing this whole winter thing for 30 years. I hate winter. It makes me depressed. We took a trip down to Miami, uh, which is where I am right now. Took a trip down to Miami to do a training in uh, Budokan Yoga, which is a form of martial arts and movement and yoga. and once again, movement really is a healer for me and how it started to create this different flow. And I don't, I don't know if it was specifically the training or anything, but it was the, the idea that we can pick up and move and be mm-hmm. in a different, we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be in one place. And that, that kind of planted a seed for my love of travel. I've, I've traveled all growing up. But that really planted a seed for why I love to travel now, especially is there's so much to learn. There's so much to grow from when you don't put yourself just in one place, but you pick up, go and just immerse yourself. And that's what I did a couple trips coming down to Miami. I was like, how does this feel for me? Can I envision myself being here? So in the short of that, we ended up moving uh, my ex-husband, myself and my puppy at the time down to Miami. And When a marriage isn't working in one state, going to another state isn't going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So we ended up divorcing, uh, I would say, officially, like one year later. Mm -hmm. But about like four months into it, it was like, I'm moving out. And that created the separation, the identity loss, the who am I again? And I was alone. So still, I go back to the eating disorder again, because that's how I dealt with being alone. And it was over the course of the next uh, one year that I started to really delve into the personal work. And it was like, okay, enough of this shit, like enough, enough, enough. And it was those same moments when I was, uh, when I was an alcoholic and I decided to stop, it was just enough, enough, Sarah, enough. We're going to stop this. And it was the same thing with the eating disorder. It was like enough. We need to figure out a way to stop this. So it was, uh, it was really seeing there was a moment and my my now current husband uh and I'll say last (laughs) um we we were doing filming in Miami Beach and he showed me the video clip that we did for a travel wellness show that we Mm -hmm. were pitching and are still pitching and 
when I saw the video and I listened to the girl who was in there, woman, girl, I liked her. And I remember seeing this video and saying, she's pretty cool. I like her. And there was this moment, it was the first time I saw myself in a way that was, you know, it was like an outer body, omniscient perspective of, I like who this person is. Mm -hmm. So it created a different approach to how I treated myself. And it was with more respect, more love. And I started to, that was the moment I remember that I started to count more, I would say better days, days that I didn't throw up or days that I didn't restrict. Those were, that's those, I started to count more better days than not so great days. And what starts like any habit, what starts as five goes to seven, goes to 20, goes to, I forgot how many. And I remember reaching that point where there were, you know, I, I just, I felt like a person who was treating themselves with respect. So how long did it, from the moment you put your mind said, okay, I'm going to change the eating habits here, change the, the bulimia going on. Uh, how long was that where you just wiped it out? We, well, we moved in together very shortly after. So that kind of changes your, your food and eating habits when you move in with someone. And I don't recommend that to anybody if they're struggling with an eating disorder. Don't just move in with somebody because you think it's going to help. But it was a combination of the two that I really had this better awareness of myself. So like two months. In, in short, the answer was two months because we moved in shortly after. And you met him while shooting content for you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. We took a awesome. trip to Tulum as friends and then later uh-huh. decided it was like, yeah, this is a little more than friends. And we actually ended up going back to uh, very close, Playa del Carmen, and got married there like nine months later. It was fast. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Quick and moving quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that was like that. That was the healing point, which then created. Uh, that's actually the point where I end the book in chapter eight before delving uh-huh. into the workbook. Got it. So, what was one of the big takeaways um, from dealing with cancer? Like, what was one of the huge appreciations? Share what, that you took out of it. I there's a phrase, the big C, right? And there's even movies on it, and most people yeah. think it's cancer. But I redefine it that it's a choice. And in each and every minute, we have a choice of what we as humans are doing mm-hmm. for our health, for our jobs, for our passions, for our, our relationships. And cancer taught me that, that there's always a choice. I can wake up every morning and fear that cancer is going to come back. That's, that's a reality. It's very yeah. true for me, for anybody. We all have a one in six chance of developing cancer, but it's really... Uh, it, there's, I'm sorry, I'm misquoting that. There's uh, six bouts of cancer that we come into each of us in our lives. And it's whether our immune system is strong enough to fight it off or not. One in three people are diagnosed with cancer. That's actually the, the reality. But I, of course, am at an increased risk because of uh, already being a, a cancer patient. However, when you change your eating habits, you know, your lifestyle, your, your mindset, uh-huh. Those chances decrease incredibly, um, and especially the food as fuel and what you're eating and taking in makes the biggest, I believe, one of the biggest differences. Totally. So 
Um, power of choice. That's my phrase. The power, <laughs> so the power of choice. Of choice. <laughs> that was that was the the big takeaway for you is the power of choice. Yes. Awesome. So after your eating disorders, your alcohol addiction, you leave Boston, you come to Miami. What did it all lead you into now? Now I love to, so I was teaching yoga for a while and now I teach doing special events um, or if and when I start doing retreats again. But really now I'm more motivated for doing speaking engagements to do motivational, but also workshop and tools Mm -hmm. to create that power of choice to, uh, on top of, we're still doing a ton of filming. So I specialize in travel wellness because I believe you can find healthy options and be healthy anywhere and the power of creating positive habits. So that's a big part of what I'm doing now is doing wellness travel content uh, for various different companies that I'm working with um, on top of doing speaking engagements and special events. Cool. Would you tell us a little bit about what is travel wellness content that you go and do? Absolutely. So one of the companies, I was just writing it today, and it's a really tough job. So last, when we were in London, I had to go to this beautiful lounge, and they force-fed me these fresh greens, um, delicious coffee. I had to get a massage. It was uh-huh. really, really a rough day. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah. The sarcasm <laughs> doesn't come across in audio, but if the the point of it is um, so the company is Sanctify and it's a travel wellness app dedicated towards frequent business travelers that you can find healthy options, mainly in airports, and it's doing filming for them that showcase here's healthy finds within the airport. You can access these different lounges, these different hotels, gyms, um, spas by going to the nearby hotels that are within a five mile radius. Uh, it's again creating that power of choice that you can choose this, um, and that's one of the areas that I'm doing for travel wellness. The other part is my own personal endeavor, and it's just tips and it's blogging, it's blogging, um, those kind of things. Those are on my personal side, and then coming out later this summer is a 28 day renew program that I'm putting together, and it's creating a healthy morning routine. Mm-hmm a healthy evening routine, and each day is dedicated to a specific topic, which are pulled from the book, actually. So the third part of the Living Cancer Free book yeah, is... tell us about that. Book. Yeah, the, the first two parts are about my life and story. And I think it's great to share a story, but also give people tools. So the third part of the book is a full 52 different uh, exercises, uh, works, uh, works, Exercises and tips that you can implement into your own life and on ways to detox, which has nothing to do with the physical detox. It has to do with delete emails that you just unsubscribe, delete or mute people on your social media that are fueling you. So it's that kind of detox. Uh, Then there's also the nourishment part. So it's what you're fueling into yourself mind, body, stomach, of course. creating a mind-body connection. So it's mm-hmm. doing personal healing tools. And then the last part is uh, living uh, living free based on a 14-phrase manifesto that I created. So that's what the workbook part is in the book itself. And it's really to 
to share different things. I'm by no means a, a doctor. I am not an oncologist. I'm not a guru. I'm nothing. I'm a girl who went through a lot of shit. Yeah. Learned a lot of things along the way, and I just want to share them with people. So those are things that I used along the way that helped me to be where I am today. Now, that being said, that also developed into, well, how else do I create something like this that's tangible for people? So right now, in the as I started to share, the development of the 28-day program will include one of those uh, exercises. There's 52, so I had to pull the top 28. That made sense with the rest of it, but it's... It's things that we know we should be doing. It's like brushing. Your- give us, throw, throw some in here. Throw. Yeah, throw some of the 28 days of your favorite ones that are that you're ah, going to be throwing in this challenge. So one of them starting out really, as I said, so the first week is uh, on detoxing, but it's really how many times you get emails, the same emails from the same company that you just, you, you delete every morning. Now yeah. it seems easier at the time, just delete it but unsubscribe and you're going to save yourself a lot more. So it starts to clean things out. You also go through things in your home that you start to clean out. Part of the nourishment is what foods that you're uh, adding in. So uh-huh. you focus a little bit on superfoods, but it's also what thoughts you're telling yourself in your, in your daily life. So what thoughts you're nourishing your mind with. The mind-body connection, uh, all throughout the 28 days, we're doing different uh, yoga practice. So it's a, creating that connection of your mind with your body. So there's actually some exercises where you're standing in front of the mirror and you're finding an area in yourself that you are just a little critical about, but you start uh-huh. to train your mind to like that part. And then the, the last uh, week, we focus on the Live Free Manifesto. And I have to say, uh, there's two of my favorite ones. One of them is uh, the best book in the world is a passport portfolio of stamps. So it encourages you to travel in some way, some form. And I know getting on a plane and going to Bali is not accessible for everybody, but it's what (laughs) can you create even going to a different um, area in the neighborhood that you live in. So it's, it's not just, you know, get on a plane and go somewhere. And the, the last one is you have the power to choose any life you wish to desire that you desire you can create mm-hmm. that and it's the the power of choice and creation that you can live a passionate life and one that is free i love that that's awesome thank you it's great and i love the uh love the story of your journey of what actually got you into health yeah thank you <laughs> it's, it's it's quite a it's an up and down but that is life no we all have our paths and and that's why I call it a warrior. We, we have to fight sometimes, but we also have to know when to reserve our strength. And that's part of the process. Absolutely. Is this part of your um, Unfuck Your Body series? Uh, that's a great, great series. So it's myofascial healing with, uh-huh. personal, with physical training and a combination of yoga. So it's all three of those combined together that works through different areas of the body, uh, the neck, the shoulders, and that you can create your own systems. So if you're suffering from back pain, and again, I'm not a doctor. These are things that I worked with private patients with, uh, with private clients, with private clients with, and it was working on, you know, if you have upper back pain, it's probably Mm -hmm. your posture. First of all, as I sit up straighter here, it's working on the neck. It's working on parts of the shoulders, the upper back, but also the lower back because it's all connected but we keep the focus on the upper back and work the surrounding areas. So it's a system that you can tie different parts together with, 
or if you're someone who is insistent on wearing high heels every day because you have to for your job, there's one in there for the feet and it helps to roll out, especially, especially the plantar fascia at the bottom of the foot and you're using uh, therapy balls for it. Yeah, I love those things. And me too. Do you bring them when you travel? That's a good uh, one. I, I have the little acupuncture ball. It's got all the little points all over it. Yes. So it's yes. kind of like the spiky one. Yes. Yeah, yeah I love that thing. My dog tries to rip it from my feet, though. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I bring the, um, I have the rubber ones, and I bring those along with me when I travel, and I place them in my middle back, because the airplane seats, honestly, are the, the absolute. Oh, so you use it while you're on the plane? Exactly. I'm going to have to try that out. I'll send you a video for that one, but it's a okay. great little tip that I always bring from my back. And during takeoff, it feels like a nice massage because of the pressure of oh, the yeah, yeah. Cool. forces into your back. All right, I'm gonna try that when I uh, when I fly out next week. Yes. <laughs> okay, so where let's let's talk about where we could find you. Uh, so tell us where's the book. Tell us the name of the book and where we can find it. Great. The book itself, named Living Cancer Free, you can find it uh, easily on Amazon. It's in uh, Kindle version, iBook, um, and of course, soft cover. Um, I did soft cover for many reasons, but uh, mm -hmm. then that's the easiest place to find it. You can find it on cool. Bookmate as well, but Amazon is really the go-to. You'll find it there. You can read all five-star reviews there. And the easiest place to find me, livefreewarrior.com. And then across all social media channels, it's Live Free Warrior. So Instagram, YouTube, I'm there. Uh, Facebook, I'm getting there. It's Live Free Warrior TV. But mm -hmm. mainly Instagram and YouTube or on my website. You can send me an email and say hi. Awesome. Well, before you go, I want to ask, is, do you have any uh, words of wisdom for any uh, women or men going through uh, cancer who may hear this? It may not seem like it at the time, but it's a gift. It's really a gift. If you can learn from it, if you can mm -hmm. take the positive message that's underlying what looks like shit, it's really a gift. And it can teach you and open up your mind in, in a way that there's something that needs to change, but you got to listen to make those changes too. But it's, even though you don't see it right now as a gift, uh, for myself, it was one of the best gifts that I was given. I love it. On that note, I'm going to end the show there because that's a great note to go out on. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.